Another week of Behind the Lens, and I know this is a, this is a show that many of you have been anxiously awaiting. It has been in the works since August. Since August, it's been in the works. And again, I am Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. You can find my movie reviews and interviews around the world in print and online 24-7. But every Monday, you will find me right here at 11 a.m., Pacific 2 p.m. Eastern on Adrenaline Radio. And I am beyond thrilled to have this gentleman <laughs> with me today to who, my who, right. Who is that? Who? <laughs> who? Who is that? You, you sound like Al in, in Winnie the Pooh. Well, I've been, I've been reading your, your Facebook posts and on Twitter, and you're like describing this wonderful show with this amazing guy. And wow, I, I want to listen to that. <laughs> yeah, well, sorry, you're not going to listen because I know, I'm you here. are here. Well, I, am, I am listening in a sense. I am here. Welcome, so. welcome. Special sound effects guru, founder of the Hollywood Sound Museum, Steve Lee. I am beyond thrilled to have you I'm here. I'm thrilled you're having me here. This is great. I appreciate being on the show. Well, well you know, all our regular listeners know that, you know, sound is something because, as everybody knows, I go behind the lens and below the line. In my interviews with the show. We, we are very much below the line yes. <laughs> in filmmaking. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times we're reminded of that when we're working. Well, you know, which is why over the past a few years... I have been so thrilled to have some of the great guys from Formosa Group on the show. We've yeah, had Oscar winner Mark Mangini. We've had Scott Hecker. We've had Tim Hoganocker. I know those punks. Uh, you yeah. know that, yes. <laughs> and as you told me, you taught them everything I you did. know. I did. I did, especially Mangini. Yeah. yeah. You, but you see, you, no, it's, it's, yeah, you no. taught them everything you know, but not everything they know. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, they know an awful lot. No, I was very privileged to work with Mr. Mangini for over 20 years. Uh, at one of his uh, prior companies. And uh, he was partners with uh, two other guys, Richard Anderson and Stephen Flick. And they're all Oscar winners now since Mark won the other year yep. for Mad Max. But uh, I uh, was their sound effects librarian for many, many years and then and then grew into editing and design and basically learned you know everything while I was there. I mean, I knew a few things before. I think they hired me because I had a pretty good ear Mm-hmm. And I'd listened a lot to their work. I mean, it was kind of scary that I knew a lot of their, I knew the library before I had actually gone there because I'd listened to films. I recorded films off, you know, the TV. Because that's what we did in the pre-VCR yes. age. Yes. Yeah. We all listened to, to movies over and over on cassettes. And well, Reel to reel. I mean, I can't tell you how many cassettes I have from radio that I listened to yeah. in the 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. um, movies. That I just, you know, and I recorded just with audio cassettes. I still have all my yeah. old cassettes. I still refer to them every now and then. I have cassettes. Um, and yeah. as we were talking about before the show, and as many of the listeners know, my father spent 60 years in broadcast television at WFIL WPVI in Philadelphia. That's so cool. And sitting in the Elias compound to this day, <laughs> which actually are going to make their way out here, are just stacks and stacks of reel-to-reel tapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which are coming to me. 
that that was my that was the bane of my existence for many years at Weddington because we uh, we I was there during the whole digital conversion where mm-hmm. we mastered them first to DAT and then just to you know wave files on the computer you know on through you know uh, transferring digitally and making them available to the editors that way which is just so much easier but then our time gets eaten up in other ways so yeah kind of evened out but but uh, no I remember the glory days of going down the halls with tons and tons of quarter inch tapes and you know you were cutting on film you were cutting on magnetic film mm-hmm. so you'd have you know rolls and rolls of film going down the the aisles of the office as far as you could see with multiple elements now it's just you know one click and you get another track on the computer mm-hmm. it's crazy you can carry around a show in your pocket yeah i kind of i kind of like the idea though the images of somebody walking and carrying you yeah. know reels oh i did i've got pictures i mean that's <laughs> It's one of the reasons I'm doing this museum project is, you know, for a place to those uh, people can see those reels and see what it was like back then and actually, you know, feel film, you know, to actually touch it. Like I have right here, your 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 video watchers will see, but uh, this is uh, a tape and from those the old of, library. those of you who are listening now, we are shooting to, as many yeah. of you know, we're shooting two camera video and it will go to my lovely editor, Lydia, in North Carolina, and she will put this thing together, <laughs> and you will be able to see the video yeah. on BehindTheLensOnline.net or on YouTube and other places. We've got a little show and tell for the, the people yes. watching on picture. But Look this, at this. Yeah, this is, I'm holding, this is a quarter-inch tape. This is actually a real uh, recording um, that was made for Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, yes. Yeah. This is with the original logs and everything. Raiders of the Lost Ark people, which was a multiple Oscar winner for film sound. This is the uh this is the clipper, the DC3 that he gets on to go to oh go on God. his adventure in the beginning of the film, yeah. Here are the, hand, the these are the handwritten notes. Yeah. The handwritten notes. Yeah. I don't know if you can see it too well with the light, but oh And my also God. on this tape is uh the um when he goes to uh, the bar and there's a there's a snowstorm outside, uh, Ben Burt was the sound designer on that film, and he made a lot of effects for the previous film that he, he the previous film he worked on was a little film called Empire Strikes Back. Just just a little film, a tiny and uh, little thing. I know that one of the things he pulled for Raiders for the snowstorm is the Hoth ice the Hoth snowstorm. Which is on this table. <laughs> oh well, you know, speaking of Star Wars, yeah. when I don't know if you've heard this story from Scott Hecker, but mm. when Scott was on the show, one of Scott's first sound jobs was, I think it was on Empire. Mm-hmm. And to create the sound of Chewbacca slogging through snow, yeah. it was at, they actually took raw eggs and it was <laughs> Scott's body and they were dragging his body through raw eggs oh to gosh. get the sloshy sound of Chewbacca slogging in snow. There's some fun stories like that. I my, my brain just came up with a bunch. Ron Bartlett, who is an Oscar-nominated mixer, he works with Mark. He actually mm-hmm. worked with Mark on Blade Runner, the recent Blade Runner yeah. film. Um, Ron dragged me down the alley at Old Weddington, our old shop, uh, to get a, a body drag. And I remember I dragged my sneakers, so we got some sneaker squeaks, and we ended up using those for other things, too, because there was a nice squeak. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, we give it our all. There's, um, I, I brought some sounds with us. I don't know if we were able to play them or not. Oh, we've got the, we, Well, one of the things that you just reminded well, me. and let's give a huge shout yeah. out to station owner Nick Federoff, the and, fearless leader of Adrenaline. Nick just went above and beyond. Yes, so appreciated. And Pam, too, our engineer, who is helping us out to, to get all this 
playable. Let me see what is one of the things you just reminded me. Um, if you could queue up uh, Q24, Pam, 24, um, on Poltergeist, mm-hmm. which which two of my bosses, former bosses, Richard Anderson and Steve Flick, were, were actually nominated for, for yeah. an Oscar, uh, all that gelatinous goo that would fall out of the other dimension yeah. was all jello that they tossed around. And at one point, Stephen gave his all and got into a bathtub full of jello. <laughs> Just for the sound. So go ahead and play that. Here's a little bit of Steve Flick wallowing in in jello. Can Can you imagine the things we do for our craft? (laughs) Oh, my God. Just to get that that movement, because they had played around with, like, jello, like, in a sink or in a tub, but it didn't have that kind of, you need that kind of dense mass moving around in it. So he just hopped in the tub. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so there you go that's, oh that's my. one example of, of uh, okay i can tell pam's gonna have fun with yeah. sounds today <laughs> yeah i'm glad we could play these because you know a moment ago this we is this worried. is very exciting yes yeah. the flash drive was coming up as as yeah. empty and yeah then, when i came in it's a whole mac versus pc thing don't get me started but you know <laughs> but bless nick's heart nick went running to the guy next door yeah. who's, a, who's a musician and lo and behold i really appreciate that I mean, gee, I'm going to have to pay yeah. for this. This is why. Yeah, I, this I know, is why, right? This is why, as, as the this listeners, will come back to bite you. Well, <laughs> you know, over the past month or so, you know, I'm like Nick's junior guinea pig. Oh right. With you know, he we've he's been putting in different lighting, mm-hmm. and he's really beefing up the studio I like, to it make a it great room. Oh, oh you've even got a Hollywood Sound Museum poster. Up. Yes, That's... we do. As a matter of fact. <laughs> The Hollywood Sound Museum. Yeah, we'll which, talk about that later. Which we're, we're going to be talking yeah. about today, and you know, I, and you know, there's a GoFundMe campaign, but you know, we're going to hear all about the great plan. Yeah, we've got a lot of people involved. Uh, we might be hearing from some of them soon. Um, yeah, it's very exciting. I mean, it's basically I'm treating it as my life's work because I've spent all this time, you know, learning about sound and film and other entertainment and building libraries of sound, and you know. The, it, we decided a couple of years ago, I was just sitting around with some of my pals, and we, we don't have a temple. You know, we don't have our own place. I mean, there, there, there are other film museums, and there's places, you know, like the sound guilds and unions and things like that. But there's no one place that the public and the pros can go mm-hmm. to to celebrate our craft. So that's the, the, the gap we're trying to fill. Well, and, you know, sound and uh, regular listeners and my readers have... I have long spoken about this and been an advocate for sound design and acknowledgement of sound in film because sound adds its own layer of storytelling to a film when done correctly, when done appropriately. Absolutely. It's it's kind of, you know, one of the invisible crafts. If we do our story our, our job really well, we're we're helping to tell the story and if we do our job really really well, you won't notice what we've done. You'll just buy it and be into the story and all that. If we do it pretty good, you might notice some of the things we've done. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a very tricky thing, because especially in the digital age with all of these big, huge science fiction films. And yeah. you got things like, you know, the Avenger series and all this that are like almost completely CG. Like I heard I saw I saw the, the Thor movie, the latest Thor movie, mm-hmm. and the director was there talking. And apparently out of the thousands and thousands of shots in the film, only something like 70 had no CG elements in them. Yeah. Is every and shot has something in them. And that's mind-blowing. And that's stuff that you have to create from from nothing. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's that's what we do with sound because when you're recording the sound on the set, when you have a production recordist, you know, production mixer on the set recording the dialogue, they don't always they aren't always able to get it through no fault of their own. There's wind blowers or people yelling or they're walking on wood mm-hmm. instead of a metal spaceship, and you know, so we have to go in there and start from scratch, really. Well, and you know, and that's something you mentioned. You know that you had you worked. Uh... At Weddington, you were yeah. handling the library, and I know when Mark was on the show before, when Scott was on the show, they talked about their sound library. It's the heart of any good sound organization because you know you put in everything that you've made for the film, and a lot of times you're just going out and recording things because it was there. Mm-hmm. That was actually a category in the library because it was there. When we didn't have a <laughs> film title, we'd put it because it was there, and we just go out and record. I'm still recording stuff. I just moved to a new house in in Silmar, and it's. Uh, about a block and a half from the 210 and I was up late working and like at two in the morning just listening to the traffic was it had a really neat tone to it so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going out there and recording the traffic at two in the, you know we're always building our library because it's really what you know, what makes us unique as sound people having a great collection to dip into mm-hmm. and, and pulling all these elements it, you know it's much like when I talk to costume designers like Sandy Powell Mm-hmm. Or Colleen Atwood, and yeah. they talk about they, in their travels they will find fabric somewhere, yeah, and they, they buy it. They have no idea yeah. what they're going to do with just it, just to have it. But they buy it and they hold on to that. This happened with uh, the costume that was done on Cinderella. Uh huh. There was fabric that uh, Sandy had purchased. She said decades ago. Yeah, yeah. And lo and behold, yeah, found a use for it. But, you know, that's very much sound. You just accumulate and accumulate. Oh, sure. And you remember it. I mean, all of us sort of have to act as librarians, which is why I, I really am glad that I started in the library mm-hmm. and learning the library because I never really left while I was at Weddington. I was still sort of running the library, even though I started designing and cutting mm-hmm. on other films. And Richard Anderson, bless his heart, it was one of the, the owners uh, and supervising sound editors there who won an Oscar for Raiders of the Lost Ark with Ben Burt. He, uh, bless his heart, when I started editing, he would give me real one of his films. Most most of the time on his films, he would hand me real one. And he said, go ahead and pull it and cut it. You know, I haven't, I haven't pulled it yet. Just go ahead and pull it and cut it. And he would just trust me with it. And then I would pull the reel and then cut it. And we did this for like, you know, five or six movies. And after like the second or third one, I said, you know, I think I figured out why you did this. And he said, oh yeah, tell me. Because it gives you another week so you can pull the rest of the movie, right? <laughs> 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 he, he admitted that. But uh, yeah, that was a great advantage in knowing the material. And you know. But, you know, and just looking at your own career as a, as, as a sound librarian or as a sound editor, I mean, you've worked on Dreamer, which is a film that I love. You've got... That was a sweet movie. And you've got to worry about, you know, horses and yeah. racetracks and the sound of hooves in mud and yeah. dirt tracks and... That was... Uh, yeah, that was Elliot Koretz, I think, was one of the supervisors. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was a great film. That was very sweet. And for Frank Darabont, you did The Majestic. Frank is a great guy. I, yes, You know, is. we... At the dub... I, I sat with him, and we just we were geeking out in the back of the theater. I mean, the mixers had to turn to us and say, hey, can you listen for a moment? Because <laughs> we're just geeking out about film stuff. But, no, he, he was a pleasure to work. And that was another real one instance. Mm-hmm. That was another. 
Uh, I did reel one of that, which was a great reel because you get to see the Chinese theater and all these period cars going right. in front of it. And yeah, that was a fun film. I you know, so I got to ask you, mm-hmm. you did Apollo 13 as well. You did special sa- special sound effects for Apollo 13. Yeah, I was one of three sound designers on that. Uh, John Pospisil, who's like the mad genius at Weddington, was one of them. And he did most of the stuff. Donald Flick, who was an editor, did a bunch of the rocket stuff and things like that. And I did a bunch of incidental stuff like uh, the crawler that goes out to the tarmac. And um, I did all the transmission static. I actually had to listen to all the recordings of Apollo 13, the original transmissions, mm-hmm. which I got to tell you is is uh, quite a ride in itself. I mean, more dramatic than any movie they could ever make, just listening to the desperation in their voices some of the mm-hmm. times. It's just amazing. But I went through and cleaned up all the little bursts of static and all, all the static you hear in Apollo 13 is actual static from the original um, wow. transmissions. Yeah. Wow. And, and one fun thing I did on, on Apollo 13 was uh, one of the design projects was the, uh, the master alarm mm-hmm. in, the, um, in the cockpit right. there. And uh, we actually had a consultant uh, on the film from NASA who um, came in and would advise us and you know, give us uh, technical information. And I kept asking him if he had an actual recording of the master alarm. He said, well, you know, listen to these. And he sent me a few things, but they weren't quite right. And I remember once I, I got an email from him saying, you know, how soon do you need this? Can you give me a couple of days? And I said, sure. You know, we're cutting for a couple of weeks, so it's fine. And a package arrives like two days later, and I had to sign for it. And it's like the actual specs of the master alarm. And I worked with our engineer, a guy named Mark Lindauer at Weddington. And we got a, a oscilloscope and we got, you know, a tone generator and we actually made the master alarm sound. It was like a two tone. In fact, I think I can actually play it for you, Pam, if you can cue up cue number 17 and uh, pot it up slowly. Cause it's kind of loud. Um, go ahead and play it whenever you want. It's like a two tone kind of, yeah, that's, this is how the master alarm in the cockpit of Apollo 13 actually sounded like from the actual specs. And we created this tone. And, you know, it, it's kind of fear-inducing. It's, it's a good alarm. But it's not in the movie. Oh! Oh! No! It's not in the movie. Go ahead and, go ahead and kill that. Um, I'll play the one that is, which is, which is the next cue, number 18, Pam, if you want to have that ready. It's just he... He said it sounded too much like a Euro siren. He said it didn't work for him emotionally. So he wanted something more dramatic. So John P. had made a bunch of other buzzers and alarms and things like that. So go ahead and play 18. This is the master alarm as you hear it in the film. Uh-huh. Which I can, I totally get why yeah. he chose this instead. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, I went above and beyond and made the real thing. And, <laughs> and just go, to, go for the old hack, hack, hack. Anyway. Um. We have, do we know who's calling? Oh, oh my God. Speaking of, uh, speaking of the, the great devil. Richard Anderson. Well, hello, Richard Anderson. Welcome to Behind the Lens. Hi, Debbie. This is beyond a thrill to have you Ladies joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, us. Richard Anderson. <laughs> I just thought I'd call up and embarrass Steve. Yeah, on, he's on he's got a, he can he uh, can tell radio. national radio. You can you could you could certainly you know, make me look bad if you feel wanted free. to. Well, you know he's being <laughs> he's being internationally embarrassed because you know three percent of our live listeners are actually in Italy. Really, we have there you go. We have a very lovely fo- live following in Italy, also in Moscow. 
Wow. There you go. Yes. Know anyone in Moscow, Richard? Uh, no, actually, I don't think I do. You, okay. ha- you, you haven't worked with Timur Bekmambetov yet? With who? With Timur. I, I don't know who that is. Timur no. did uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. He did... Oh, no, uh, no. Epics. Epics. <laughs> yes. 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 But uh, Richard has to, Richard has uh, directed a, a couple films uh, recently in uh, some exciting in foreign locations. Do you want to talk briefly about that, Richard? You you've gone. Uh, on yes, I mean, Richard. Actually, he had a huge uh, career yeah, in sound, I've been but he's and now, directing films yeah. with uh, Chinese companies. So, nice. are you yeah. working with STX at all? No, not yet. Okay. Nope, not yet. Well, uh, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, like all filmmakers, trying to get the next project off the ground. That's what the, that's what it's all about. That's I always it. say the that's hardest part is. about making movies is getting the money. That's absolutely. <laughs> that's with everything. Meanwhile, he's slumming with me talking about sound effects. Well, that's yes. hey. <laughs> I, I think. Hey, he... I called it. I wanted to say I was thinking. You know, maybe instead of building your sound museum as an actual physical structure, maybe you should have a virtual museum that's all audio. No, we will, actually. I do want to have a virtual version of the museum and have a lot of the collection available for people, you know, all over the world to access. But, you know, the goal is to have a brick-and-mortar place somewhere in Hollywood proper. But, no, I would absolutely insist on having a a virtual version of it that comes Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, the the old radio shows where they used to do dramas and things, mm-hmm. and, you know, you'd had sound effects, and you could have the sound of being in, like, a large, uh, you know, library of Congress <laughs> kind of sound effect, and, you know. and We and should have streaming audio of the Hollywood actual. Sound museum, yeah. oh, come this way, you know, to the <laughs> whatever, and you'd hear sound effects of walking on marble, and then you'd yeah, there you go. The, whatever the thing you're going to look at, Vitaphone. That's say. great. Yeah, oh, absolutely. God, yes. That's a great idea. Yeah. yeah, and the person could kind of describe it and whatever. <laughs> That's anyway, a great that would be the cheap way. You could start with that yeah, and then go. Ex- get, go into the brick and mortar later. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Well, you know, Richard, since, since you're on the line, I mean, you have a very storied career in film uh, with Sam. Yeah, I started when it was film. He did, I, yeah. I, I actually, when you yeah, could feel it and touch cut, it. Cutting film and one of the literally first, cut it. One of the first films I actually got to cut on film was for Richard. It was Hoffa. Remember that, Rich? Oh, yeah. Yeah, with uh, Danny DeVito, who directed it. That was right. Fun. I remember doing the first temp dub on that movie, and yeah. we turned that around in a, like a week. It was very fast. It was very fast. Yeah, yeah I cut backgrounds on one reel, and uh, that was ah. my first film experience. And... Uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad. I, I I mean, I learned it in film school. I knew how to do it, but to actually, you know, hey, I did it once, and then, like the next year, we transitioned to digital. <laughs> like right away, it's like, okay, well, I had that experience. I mean, That's I, great. I still remember <laughs> when I was in in film school, when I was in broadcast television and film, and cutting my own film. And I mean, I still have my portable movieola. I yeah, I lugged it out here from Philadelphia. Oh, I'm, I've got two for the museum. That and, I have to, I have to pick them up too. I got to put them in storage. But, and yeah. it is so uh, the whole idea of touching the film. Yeah, actually, right. not I not agree. touching Even it. Though, but... You know, there's something tactile about yeah. it. Um, Absolutely. You, and you like you'd hold the picture film up to the light mm-hmm. and look at it. Yeah. And you could see what shot it was. Yeah. Well, I mean, because when know, I and and yeah, it got dirty and your hands got filthy and all that <laughs> stuff. But, and the chemicals you know. too. Oh my God. But I yeah. I remember <laughs> that I was actually cutting because we had to actually cut film with no sound and then do a reel-to-reel track to run parallel with it. Oh, my God. 
So oh, I was sort a- of real to real Vitaphone. Yeah. Kind of. So yeah. I was actually counting frames. So I would know, and I actually turned my film into a music video in the 70s before there were music videos. (laughs) And then with the film, it was raw footage of just people at the Philadelphia Zoo. Then they gave us the footage, and we had to turn it into something. And I turned it into a music video and had, you know... I had little cuts from, like, Dr. Doolittle talked to the animals and things (laughs) like this, timed perfectly. Yeah. You can do it. You, you can, can do you it. You can measure it out and Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's hard it's hard though with with quarter inch because it slips and I guess it yeah. oh, Tell me about it. I yeah. my first there's, no, there's a reason they put sprocket holes on it. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> my first few years at at Old Weddington was nothing but cutting quarter inch tape and cataloging all yeah. those. You know, Richard and the guys would, you know, lay down a huge stack of them on my <laughs> I think it was right. um I think it was Tremors. I think that was one of the first ones that I really got uh, where I I got one of the first big car series from from the recordists on that show. You remember that one, Rich? Right. All those vehicles. Yeah, all those vehicles. Yeah, the Jeep and the trucks and all that stuff. Yeah. We, went, we recorded everything that thing did because it was the star vehicle in the show. Oh, I had like, you know, 15, 16 tapes on my desk that had to be done. Like I even broke some rules and took them home to cut because oh. I had to, had to get them done. Got to, had to get them done in time. Horror. My girlfriend at the time was working on Gremlins too, sculpting some some hideous creature. So, you know, here we are at three in the morning in our apartment. I'm cutting tape and she's sculpting a gremlin and we're like, we're living the dream. <laughs> Well, and exactly. You know, I always laugh it, when they're, say, building the, the B-28 bomber or something, you know, they'll be, they'll be like years, be, years and billions of dollars behind schedule. And it's just like, oh, well, but if your show, if people turn on two, uh, their TV at Tuesday at 730 and their show isn't on, it's like, oh, my God, yeah. it's the end of the world. Exactly. You they're know, going to change the deadlines for us. Yeah. Yeah, so we have the, the yeah all the the really important stuff. They just delay it, but TV shows and, and movies have to be uh, out at the precise time. Well, no matter how much we have to stay up all night. Well, I got to ask Steve here because of all of his little sound, his little sound effects that he clips that he. Yeah, brought. I brought a few things. That, in fact, I was just thinking of something for you to talk. I don't have the actual clip itself, but I have I have the the sound effect that you were ultimately trying to record, Richard. But uh, if you could once again, uh, Richard's, Richard won an Oscar for Raiders Lost Ark, which he shared with Ben Burt. And uh, Ben did a lot of the sound design up north at, at Lucasfilm. But Richard and the crew here with Mark Mangini and Steve Flake made a lot of the effects. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the, the, the fight in the bar, Marion's Bar, where um, they like drop a bottle of whiskey and the fire like travels down the bar, mm-hmm. uh, they needed a little fire sound effect. And Richard, I'm going to let you take over the story here. He's told this many times, but it never gets tired to me. Richard, could you tell what happened? I got to hear hear about a little fire effect. And before you go, Richard, Pam, if you could cue up Q6 and fade it in when it seems appropriate, please. Richard, go for it. Oh, okay. Well, we, we, uh, we, we needed the sound effect of little fires of alcohol burning. And you'd go to the library, and you know, they would have forest fires or a, an yeah. automobile burning. Huge bonfires, yeah. Yeah, but you so, couldn't find little ones. So we decided we were going to record little fires on, on a Foley stage, not in sync to the picture, but just because it's quiet there. And they had a pit with sand. So 
at, we went out and bought some. We weren't sure what to get. We knew gasoline was with bad news. But so we got a can of benzene, not even really knowing what that was. Oh, but God. anyway, we found yeah. it made little nice little fires, sort of like a charcoal lighter, and you could you could play with yeah, it. Go ahead, so, Pam. Play a little bit of that. This is yeah. this is just some of the fire that you guys recorded. Oh, okay. So uh, anyway, so we're recording the thing, and um, at one point it looks like it's going out, and so somebody said, "Put a little more on." So I picked up this little metal can of benzene. And like a, they're blowing on the fire. Little, like on your breath. Fire. Yeah. That makes too much noise. Here, this. And uh, so it, it it was going fine, and then I noticed that the can itself was on fire. It was like yeah. a little blue flame we on could, the top of the can, screw the lid. The can was thought, actually on fire. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this can't be good, and I didn't know if it benzene explodes or just burns. But I figured this is not good. So I put my leather shoes and I put my foot on top of that little hole, figuring that'll cut the the air off and it'll go out. Well, the next thing I knew, my entire pants leg was on fire. Richard was on fire. Oh, my God. Richard was burning. We actually call and that sound I, the incredible burning. And I, and I didn't know what to do. Um, we had had a fire extinguisher there, but we'd gone to lunch, and somebody had dutifully come out and put it in its proper place in the next room. So... <laughs> Um, yeah. I went. I went around, and normally there's a there's a pit in the foley thing with, full of water, so you can make water effects. So I jumped in there, but it we it hadn't been filled because we weren't going to do water. So I jumped out of there, which is amazing because it's about three feet deep. And um, five later, <laughs> this this could have been an even a bigger disaster. But there was some curtaining material, and I managed to use oh, that yeah. to get the fire kind of dabbed <laughs> out. Yeah. And, but the interesting thing about it is, we, we because we were rolling um, quarter inch tape. It's all on tape. It's it's right, all recorded. We played it back, and of course it's distorted because people started um, screaming. Uh, screaming and things, and you know, kind of kind of distorted. Because but that's, but, yeah. I don't know what's wrong with that mixer. He should have been writing the level. Exactly. <laughs> but the <laughs> only instead of worrying about me, everyone screaming. Anyway, the only one who was not. When we played it back, we found that everybody was yelling or screaming except me. Yep. I never said anything <laughs> until the fire was out. And yeah. I think somehow, instinctually in my mind, I, I, something said, we're, reco- we're recording sound, don't, make, don't talk. Yeah, we, we all learn that. It's ingrained in our, in our, in our oh DNA that don't, don't come. Richard, we have another. Unless you have to slate something. Oh my gosh, Richard! We have another caller coming up, so I'm going to have okay, to. Okay, great. Have to, well, uh, but thank fine. Uh, no, well, good it, luck. Richard is such a great guy. He's one of one of my pals, and mm-hmm. I worked with him for so long. And I'm thrilled. He's going to help out with the museum. He's probably going to do. We're going to make him speak and tell these All wonderful right. stories. So he's he's very much a part of the whole plan. And Richard and I'm I are looking, actually. I'm looking forward to getting this museum off the ground. Yeah, and and yeah. also Richard and I are going to be speaking at uh, LostCon this Thanksgiving weekend over at the Los Angeles uh, LAX Hilton. So uh, uh, Marriott, Marriott, sorry. Um, and you can find more information about that later on. But uh, I, I appreciate Richard speaking oh. with me on that. Well, Richard, okay, great. Thank oh, you. Oh, uh, one yes. thing, if I Richard can plug it, our library, yes. the old Weddington Library, is yes. being released by Pro Sound. Now, yeah, it's actually it. available. Yeah, all the all library those effects for people if they want to. That we slaved library, over. So. Wow, that's my shameless plug. Yeah, but that's I really great, didn't Richard. call up for that. I just thought <laughs> no, I, I really know you didn't, Richard. Just to say hi to. To you, Debbie and Steve. Richard, you so can call. Best of luck. Hey, you can call anytime you want. 
Thank you, okay, Richard. Okay, sounds good now that I've discovered your show. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Richard. Talk to you soon, Rich. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. to Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Anderson. And now we have another surprise call. Yeah, this is a very dear friend of mine. Shall I bring her Go on? Go ahead and bring it on. All right. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to Behind the Lens. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, having me be a part of this. How are you, Lisa? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> How are you all? It was fun to hear Richard again. Oh, isn't that great? I, I love him to death. Yeah. I'm so thrilled that he's a part. Yeah, you, it, Lisa and Richard know each other. They, they're connected, too, because Lisa's father is the great Bill Varney, and uh, he was a legendary mixer. I'll let, I'll let you tell most of it, but I'm... I'm. I just want to say at this point that I'm so thrilled that that uh, Lisa and Bill's legacy is going to be a big part of the Hollywood Sound Museum. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm thrilled that you're calling in, Lisa. Thank you so much for taking <laughs> some time. Well, thank you, thank you. It's 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 a lot of fun. I literally um, grew up on the dubbing stage with my father, <laughs> and saw this amazing collection of editors and um, directors come through the stage and I, I mean I played literally played on the stage every summer so, and so many great um, films. I, I mean Gremlin my father yeah. yeah I well I, I can know. I can relate Lisa because I spent my whole youth growing up in a television station <laughs> so you know with my dad working there and there's nothing like it there's nothing like it when you see everything unfolding well, that's true, and and I think everybody was kind of amazed that I didn't actually go into sound mixing. I went into sound editing and eventually picture editing. I think everybody figured I'd follow on the heels of my father on the dubbing stage, but having spent so much time literally on the dubbing stage, I want to have a little different part of it. Mm-hmm. And so I I got to deal with these amazing sound editors as I grew up in the industry, I worked with people like, you know, Kay Rose and Vicki Sampson. And, <laughs> and, of course, you know, saw Richard and his crew constantly because I was there when Dad worked on, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Empire Strikes Back and mm-hmm. some of the great movies that they did, Gremlins and Goonies and all these amazing things. And also saw my dad literally start from working in um, mono stereo <laughs> to mixing the first Dolby um, two-track stereo film. So I saw this huge progression yeah. of sound. And, that, and that's and really when things went crazy. For a movie, it's, yeah. it's really kind of the unsung hero. Well, Dolby, yeah, Dolby, I mean, opened up. I mean, suddenly there's so much more room to play in because yeah. the clarity was there and there was so much detail that we had to be responsible for suddenly. Because mm-hmm. back in the old days, you know, you listen to some of those old films and there's like, there's no foley, there are no footsteps, there's no ambient sound most of the time. Right. And when what Dolby did is it opened up this whole, you know, stereo clean uh, palette for us to just start uh, creating stuff. And, you know, like Star Wars and Raiders and all those films really started that whole trend. Well, and then you look at a film like The Revenant. Yeah. With all the, right. the sounds of nature, which so often people forget. Yeah that that really helps set your emotional tone. Absolutely. You know, you've got your visual tonal bandwidth and emotional tonal bandwidth, but you also have an oral tonal bandwidth with a film. Yep. Absolutely. One of the things that my father actually helped me on, I was working um, in the marketing department at Universal Studios, and we were 
working on uh, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, oh, and yeah. my assistant and I had kind of come up with this idea to create a trailer. This was a teaser trailer that was more sound than it was picture by having the dinosaurs run through the theater before you actually saw anything. Mm -hmm. And there were strobe lights for the lightning. And this thing actually happened, and my dad helped me put together a little test, if you would, to show Mr. Spielberg and, and the executives, and they all loved it. And we ran with it. And in um, about 35 theaters throughout the U.S., we set it up. And it was actually, at that time, the DTS system that set off these strobe lights in the theaters. Yeah, it actually triggered wow. them digitally. Yeah, it's really, I, I love the yeah. story. And uh, I, I, I'm hoping this can be represented in the museum because it's a great, you got to hear it in a room with all the effects and everything. Mm -hmm. It was really an experience in itself. I mean, you know, it's, every now and then you hear about people lining up for a trailer for a film. And this is the kind of stuff that created that kind of excitement, which is really thrilling. Oh, my God. Well, and that's, that's what's so exciting about the museum, because there's so many of these things. I think it's, people are so used to how um, digital and wild films are today that mm -hmm. they forget the roots of how this all progressed. Yeah. And these, these mixers and editors were all pioneers, and... It really goes even back to radio and beyond. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Old radio and old vaudeville where you have the, the percussionist yeah. in the pit with his kit and everything. And, yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, we're, we're going to trace that whole history and have you know some of their props and tools and things available for people to see. I mean, a lot of people forget that, you know, the jazz singer gets credit as being the first talkie film. The first film was sound. But really, Don mm -hmm. Juan, which... Because uh, yeah. Jazz Singer came out in October of 1927. Don Juan came out in February of 1927, mm -hmm. but with Barry, John Barrymore, but it kind of fell away. But the one thing it had that they had, both had in common was Nathan Levinson as the sound supervisor. Mm -hmm. And Nathan went on to win an Oscar eventually in 1945 for Yankee Doodle Dandy with Jimmy Cagney. Yeah, that's right. Right. You know, and yeah. I think the whole history, I would love to see a whole timeline within the I, museum. I want to do, that's one of the things on my list for the museum is to create something that you can walk through and actually hear this stuff as you're going, you know, walking through and seeing the pictures on the wall and then hearing things as you go by. Um, I, I love creating montages of history, and this would be a really great oral experience for that while you're reading about the history to hear it. And... Uh, yeah, and I'm thrilled I have, I have people like Lisa uh, who is uh, giving me all this wonderful information and going to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, we're trying. Well, and we did something else at Universal which, which kind of demonstrated that was when we did um, the movie Far and Away, which had been the first oh, movie yeah. that had been shot actually in 65 millimeter uh, since, oh, it had been many, 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 many yeah, years. It had been well, a long when time. we were doing a example of it, we actually showed a piece of it in two track stereo. And then we showed a piece of it in 70 millimeter stereo. Yeah, and of yeah. course, the, the, the sound that you got you by got being six just, channels like, discreet. filled it's, by yeah. all those tracks. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, you know, most of the 70 millimeter releases all through the 80s were, were blow ups from 35 millimeters. The picture was pretty damn mm -hmm. good, but they did it mostly for the sound. A lot mm -hmm. of people don't realize. So it was magnetic. Six track discrete sound, and uh, that's you know that was the reason you went to a seventy millimeter film. It's not necessarily the picture, but for it was the for the sound. Yeah, sure. and then for a film right. to be actually shot in there, you got you know double the experience pretty much. So yeah, 
It makes it a must-see. Yeah. It's an event. It's It's an an event. event. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we need more events like that today, I think. I, I yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's I I hope to eventually have a place where we can show films at the museum too and have have events and your premiere things like this and show new techniques and new processes and you know, make it a make it an event. So, you know, I'm I'm and cur- what was Oh, go ahead, Lisa. Yeah. Go ahead, Lisa. No, I was just going to mention that it was within the family beyond something else that was kind of exciting and cool was my mother was actually the first female to have a union card in oh. the sound local. Wow. So that I did was, not know. <laughs> yeah. So it was actually a whole film, a, a family that was involved with it. Wow. That's do you, do cool. you still have your mother's union card? I was just going to ask. <laughs> I do. I do. All right. I'm going to need to talk to you about that. That, that, would, that, would look, <laughs> that would look really nice to have it framed Absolutely. and shadow boxed With and a picture hung on of her. a wall. Yeah. We can do that. I, I think that would be lovely. Well, well, Lisa and I have discussed a few things about the museum. And, you know, Bill's legacy is just amazing. And uh, we've we've talked about some of the things that that uh, Lisa may contribute to the museum, and uh, I've been teasing this for weeks now. So, I, but I'm going to let Lisa actually tell the story because she was so sweet to offer this, and we're going to try to make this happen. So, Lisa, do you want to go? Well, obviously, Steve and I've been talking about this for a long, long time, and considering how close. You know, his work experience was my father's and the people that he worked with and that they worked on most of his films, that um, I'm actually um, letting both of my father's Oscars go on permanent loan to the Sound Museum. Wow. And they were for Raiders of the Lost Ark and Empire Strikes Back. Two little movies that I think a few people saw that uh, have pretty good sound in them. That um, that is amazing. No, I was <laughs> I was very overwhelmed when she offered, and uh, I'm 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 thrilled beyond belief that she's uh, made that pledge. And uh, no, it's it's going to be a great a great thing to have, and I really appreciate it more than I can say. So that's that's going to be a great uh, great piece for the museum. Well, so. that that of course means Steve, there's this great onus on you to create a beautiful space. Bill in is going to yeah. display these. There's going to be a shrine to, to Bill Hardy. Yes, because he and and I mean literally. I mean, I was going to do this either way. I, there, there's a handful of people that have made such a dent in this in the community. You know, the sound community is a very small one, mm-hmm. but there there is a handful of names that that are said with reverence, and Bill's is one of them. And uh, so there was. There's definitely going to be a. a a, a corner dedicated to to Bill. I think there should be like a Varney wing. <laughs> well, at this well, Lisa will probably be working with us at the museum to create all this. So you know, she'll we'll definitely have <laughs> something like that. So, but I'm but I'm very appreciative, dear. Thank you so much uh, for for making oh, that wow. happen. That it's I, an honor. Thank you. I mean, I can't wait for the museum to take hold. Yeah, me neither. Gosh, this sounds great. <laughs> this sounds so great. I yeah. want to go. It's like I, I am so excited for the Sound Museum that I mean, I would, I want to go see it right now. Yeah. No, I, you know, I start telling people all of our ideas, and they're like, "Well, where can I go?" And that's the thing. It's still in its very early in in gestation. We're we're just putting everything on paper we're getting our our nonprofit status we're still it's a year or more away from actually being a real thing but that being said we're going to have a little mini touring 
exhibit that I, we're going to go around to schools and other venues that will have us to, you know, go for, for a week or two or uh, to give people a taste of what it's going to be like to create awareness and see some of these wonderful things because I'm in the process of assembling all this wonderful mm-hmm. stuff right now. You know, Lisa's made a great pledge. Uh, Vicki Sampson, who uh, who uh, Lisa mentioned, her her mom was Kay Rose, who was the first woman to win an Oscar for yep. sound editing. For the river. Um, Vicki gave her library to the museum to restore. So we have that collection and all kinds of other sound libraries, and we're just going to make them available. So we're going to have sort of a mini version of this that we can go around with virtual exhibits and things so people can get a real taste of it. So in the meantime, before we actually have a brick-and-mortar place in Hollywood proper, you can still experience this. So hopefully in the next few months, we're going to make traction on this and make it available. And we'll certainly let you and all of your listeners and viewers uh, know about all this. I mean, you'll have so. to come back just to talk about that. Absolutely. And Lisa, too. Lisa. She might even be le- living in L.A. by then, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. Because <laughs> this, this just means so much to me, and, I, and I'm, I'm so honored to be a part of the museum and, and what it's going to become and what it represents and what it teaches people. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Lisa, because that is such a huge, huge part of the industry and it was something that I'm very lucky that my dad always said that you have to understand the history of the industry you have to know where you came from to know where we are now and what the future holds for the industry and so many people forget I can't tell you how many young filmmakers I talked to and have talked to over the past 30 years and they have no clue I actually spoke with a couple filmmakers that they had not seen nor did they know about singing in the rain. I kid you not. <laughs> and I find, mm. I, yes, yeah. I, yes. Okay. I could almost hear the face palm on that yeah. one. <laughs> I mean, I, I no. punched the guy. Yeah. It's no, like, it's that. That's unacceptable. Well, there's a certain amount, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, there's a certain amount of, of lack of knowledge only because if, if we do our job well, you don't, you just assume that it was recorded there while they were shooting the movie. But that being said, the filmmakers themselves, you'd like to think that they have a sort of, a, you know, overall education of film. They right. didn't just jump into directing. But I find a lot of our time is spent educating them how these elements come to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind. I, I like doing it, especially if they're reasonable and they listen and they want to learn, which most of them do, of course. They, they're, you know, they're passionate about film. But it's fascinating to me how so many of them don't know the process and don't know the value of getting really good tracks on the set, having a really good production mm-hmm. mixer, getting the dialogue there so you don't have to fix it in post, which is a phrase I despise. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how, how just you know a little bit of effort during production and then hiring the right people in post can really you know, literally save your film in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's, it's, education is so important and I'm so thrilled that you're going to be a part of telling that history and educating people, Lisa. Well, thank you. I, I, as I mentioned before, I got to meet some of the finest editors growing up and being a part of this and, and some of the directors that were just so involved. Um, My father worked with you know Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, and George Lucas, and and over the years, the the movies that they made and the advances that they were able to do, 
you know, to be able to share those that history is a big deal. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, the mix for Empire Strikes Back is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Star Wars set, you know, set the 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 bar very high, and then Empire just jumped over it. Yeah. Um, just all the elements that you know Ben Burt created, and 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 Bill and and Greg Landicker and. Uh, and Steve Maslow mixed. Uh, it's it's just fantastic. And there's some video of some of the process, you know, in some of the documentaries, which is another thing that's interesting is that we have the Star Wars films to thank because they really started this precedent of documenting everything. And, you know, that's the yeah. reason we have all these commentaries and, and behind-the-scene footage is films like that that actually made the process interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go back to, like, Disney, the way he would yeah. sell these things with the videos and all that. And George Lucas really did that, too. So you have footage of, of Bill and the guys mixing Empire Strikes Back, which is just a fascinating... And back then, in a pre-digital age, you know, every finger is on a fader, controlling mm-hmm. a level of sound, and they're just... The, the, the footage, you know, if you, you find it in, in one of the docs, they're just laser-focused on the screen and listening so intently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every now and then they'd call their, their machine room operator at the time, Kevin O'Connell, uh-huh. a dear friend of mine and Lisa, who would come in and, you know, hey, Kevin, come pan this TIE fighter, you know, because they literally didn't have enough hands for all these elements. It's just amazing the way they, they, they put these together and made them work. And it's just fantastic. And, and something incredibly unusual in that movie, which doesn't happen very often is that they had the same crew that did the domestic mix on Empire Strikes right. Back actually mixed every foreign mix. Yeah. All the foreign so versions. It wasn't uncommon to be, walk under the dubbing stage and hear Darth Vader in German or, yeah. or, or French. <laughs> Well, well, that's that's the great that's, story about the the first the first Star Wars is that he didn't he forgotten he, he had George had forgotten his film opened because he was too busy doing the foreigns uh, oh late at God. night at Goldwyn. So he had lunch with his or, mm-hmm. or dinner with his wife on Hollywood Boulevard. And what the hell are all these crowds? Oh, Star Wars <laughs> opened. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! So yeah, God. no, they they yeah did a fantastic job, but. Oh, anyway. well, Lisa, I can't thank you enough yeah. for, for calling in and, and with this incredible news of, about your generosity with the museum. This is it is truly amazing. Thank you, dear. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate you calling. We'll talk soon, dear. Thanks, Lisa. All right. Bye-bye. 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 And that was the incredible Lisa Varney, yeah. the Varney family legacy Love of her sound. To death. She's great. No, I that really that really surprised me that she she did that. Wow. Um, and I'm thrilled beyond belief. And we'll we'll be getting some other things from the Bill Varney archives as mm-hmm. well. But that's like the the icing on the cake for me. But now you know you mentioned you know the great sound makes Star Wars yeah, Empire. Talk a bit about Star Wars. But yeah. you know. And, Somebody made mention about creating TIE fighter sounds. Yeah, that's that's fun. There's um, the signature sounds in Star Wars are getting so they still have legs. I mean, you hear them on TV every day right now yeah. because the the you know with Disney buying the company and they're producing more and more content. Star Wars is still everywhere, and it goes back to those original characters and those original things that were made back in you know seventy five, seventy six, and when the film opened in seventy seven. Ben Burt who is a, a friend of mine and a mentor, and he really, he's one of the reasons I'm in this business is because of the fabulous sounds that he created in those films and just inspired me to, to work toward a career doing that. He created all those sounds, and George hired him fresh out of USC, where he went to school with Richard Anderson, mm-hmm. 
And Ben was hired to start collecting elements to be used for Star Wars that he could probably turn into spaceships and things like that and start working on the characters in the script. And he literally started a full year before they even started shooting the film. Mm -hmm. So he went out and went out gathering sounds. And he also did a lot of research at all the sound uh, libraries at different studios because he was a huge movie fan. And he would... um, he had all these sounds that he remembered as a kid growing up, like me, you know, recording uh, movies off TV, you start hearing the same sounds over and over. And Ben did that too. I've noticed a, a parallel in a lot of sound guys, you know, that are my age, sort of parallels of the, their upbringing, you know, learning sounds from mm-hmm. listening and all that sort of thing. And Ben's was the same. And he, he, he sort of, built up this collection uh, from various studios of things from his own interest and also things that he thought could be used for spaceships and the the devices and all this stuff. And he was at, um, I think it was Fox. He was at 20th Century Fox and he was queuing up. He was looking at the sounds there and he found, well, well, first let me back up a little bit. The, the, the iconic sounds of Star Wars are so recognizable, and one of them is the, the TIE Fighter. Pam, if you could play cue number 32, and be careful, it might be a little loud, so we might want to pot into it too. But, <laughs> but the screech of the TIE Fighter going by is such a distinctive sound. Yes. I mean, like I said, you still hear it in all the Star Wars video games. It's such a distinctive roar. Mm-hmm. And that came from a recording... The main, the main ingredient in that is an elephant roar that Ben found at the Fox Library. It was used in an old Errol Flynn movie. Oh, my gosh. And this, this elephant just had a distinctive flavor to it. And Ben said, oh, that would be great as a part of a spaceship. So he pulled that sound. This is the original elephant sound. Cue number 33, please. This is how it sounded out of the box from the library. Listen carefully. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Wow. Here, here's the money shot coming up here. Just a... <laughs> That's a real elephant. That's an African bull elephant. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Pam's having a hard time keeping a straight face in the booth today. Yeah, I gave her some crazy stuff to play. But, I mean, that's, that, you know, it's no longer an elephant. I mean, you hear that raw track and you still imagine the TIE fighter because it's such an iconic, yeah. it's become this iconic thing. And there's so many different variations. But he took that sound, he added a little bit of a, like a, you know, a jet roar. Uh, he liked using um, tires on wet pavement mm-hmm. uh, as a little sweetener to give it a little texture uh, passing by. Um, you know, you just start thinking of things to add to it to make it, mm-hmm. you know, and then you lengthen it out and loop it out and all that. And that's Yeah, people say, people really don't, I, they really don't know what goes into creating these very, very specific sounds. Yeah. Um, you know, I know Scott Hecker talked, and when he was on the show, talked about creating sounds, uh, you know, of bracelets for Wonder Woman. Oh, right. And, you know, and... The, thing, the process that you go through to find the right sound that you then still have to develop a little bit further, but it really taps into creativity. Well, the Foley part of it is really amazing. Uh, you know, Foley is a very uh, specific um, area of what we do. It's, it's, 
when you're performing sounds in sync to picture, like footsteps and cloth movement and things like that. But, but a lot of people use it as an opportunity to come up with something very distinctive, something very indigenous for a performance that you see. Uh, another film that was a, an Oscar winner for sound effects, uh, one of the guys I work with, Stephen Flick, uh, was uh, Robocop back mm-hmm. in 87. And um, there's another one where they, they completely fabricated all the sounds for yeah. this, you know, what was essentially a guy in a plastic costume. Yeah, a friend and, of mine was in the film. So. Yeah, I, I have a couple friends. Yeah, Neil yeah. Summers, he, okay. uh, he played Dougie. Oh, cool. Dougie at the beginning of the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. It didn't end well for Dougie. No, it didn't. No. But something that we have here <laughs> yeah. in studio well, that's right what now. I was, that's what I was leading up to. I, we can't, you can't see it on the radio or online. But, but you'll be able to see it, it on the video. This is a Foley prop that was created for RoboCop. This is RoboCop's foot. This is the foot prop made. I can't really do it on this table, so you can't really hear it. But it's, it's a metal truck timing chain with handles mounted on it. And you can you sort of hear it. Sort of, they wanted something remis- reminiscent of Spurs because when he walks into like that that cocaine warehouse, he walks it's in like kind of with a it's a shootout, a, yeah, a shootout, yeah, a swagger, an, the lawman swagger. There's, there's a new sheriff in town, yeah, and that's one of the things they did. So they they built this um, uh, two guys who worked on the film, uh, Aaron Glasscock and Ezra Dweck, need a tip of the hat with this. They helped build this prop, but uh, this is going in the museum. So that's cool. Yeah. That is yeah. very cool. But it's that kind of ingenuity, and especially in, in Foley when you can perform something two-pictured that, that makes it very distinctive. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just another another layer in the whole process. Yeah. And that's just it. I mean, filmmaking is storytelling, and it's about layering in that story. You've got your script. Mm-hmm. You have your costumes. You have your production design. You have your cinematography. And as I mentioned with Lisa, you know, it's you know the oral the oral level yeah. and layer that comes in. You've got your visual tonal bandwidth, your emotional, and then you have your oral tonal bandwidth. Absolutely. And you put that all together. So when people are thinking about Best Picture nominees, <laughs> um, you know, look at all of the elements. Yeah, absolutely. All the, uh, the many unsung heroes who uh, yes. slaved away on these things. You know, I them. know, sadly, we're almost out of time, yeah, but are. I got to ask you, Pam, can we run an extra half today? I can keep going if oh. we're allowed. Pam's saying, yes, we're allowed. She's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. So, all right. <laughs> so, In that case, welcome to the last half hour of yes, Behind well, the Lens. Welcome to <laughs> Behind the Lens bonus feature. Yeah, Behind the Lens Well, extended. this is a first. We have never done this before. Oh, really? Yes, You never. didn't tell me you were going to. I didn't. You surprised me with it. I well, you we su- look, you surprised me with stuff, so it's only fair that Pam okay. and I, that we surprise you. Well, we didn't get to play most of the stuff well, that I brought, so that's, that's now, fine with well, me if you want to. Well, now we can. Plus, you know, you also brought these great books. Oh, yeah. Every, everybody knows I'm a huge advocate I grabbed, of books, literacy, and I a couple a of these. You actually have written chapters in them. Well, nice, sort of. I contributed. Sort of? I contributed material to them. I didn't actually. I'm writing my own book right now, which is going to take a while. to Adventures finish. in sound. Yeah, my own adventures in sound. Yeah, that's uh, something I've been working on for years and years, and I really have to be done with it. But I just, I keep working and I keep finding new stories. So I never, I find excuses not to finish. And it. of course, as technology keeps advancing, yeah, 
Absolutely. As I'm hitting Oops. things. Watch out. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm it's hitting. Right. I'm hitting things. It's okay. Yeah. No, I, I, it just keeps getting fatter, and it might even be two volumes at this point. But I just have to stop and like let go of it, and, and that's the tough artist thing. You but know? see, then you can always Walk write away. a sequel. Yeah, and always revise. Well, one of the books on the table there, The Fully Grail, by my uh-huh. dear friend Vanessa. Uh, she's into her second or third edition of that. Aha, uh-huh, here we are. Yeah, the, the Foley Grail. Grail. Which is the, 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 the end-all book on, on Foley, which we were just discussing. And she's, she's a master of that craft. Um, and Dave Stone wrote a book there, which is based on... Um, that's actually... Uh, it started from the articles that we wrote uh, in Movie Sound Newsletter, which he published himself. And uh, it's a compilation of all of those and, and a few other anecdotes. And uh, that's that's a great book. You know, a lot, a, a lot of people don't realize how many anecdotes there are with oh, yeah. sound. Yeah. You know, they don't realize when you get in an editing editing bay, be it for visual or be it for sound. Yeah, you've got there's stuff going on behind closed doors. Well, that's why I brought all these clips so I can I can tell stories about some of these uh, these examples that uh, from from history. I mean, it's the reason I'm forming a museum to get all these in one place to get hit. Well, yeah. But, you know, I think it's very important, too, that we let people know. HollywoodSoundMuseum.org. Yes. that We have a website. It's live right now. It's basically a referral to our GoFundMes, which helps with our initial uh, administrative fees and things like that. So you can go there and learn a little bit more about it. And if you feel so inclined, you can uh, contribute a little bit. Uh, but hopefully that will be expanded more uh, in the near future and uh, we'll have more information there and we're working on our nonprofit status right now and we're going to get some real big you know people involved so uh oh yeah but this is the very early ingestation of it yeah well I mean we're getting the Hollywood Costume Museum I think yeah you know sadly this didn't come into fruition when Debbie Reynolds had her whole collection intact I know and... right that was incredible so yeah. to see what it's... happened with her, you know, that vast collection yeah. that she had, you know, it's before we lose any more no, sound. No, that's one of the reasons I'm doing this. I mean, it was inspired. There were several instances where I was called in as a consultant to look over some some items in vaults and things like that and what to be done. Because to them, to to the, you know, administrative people, they're just they're paying storage on something that they don't know what it is. And it's just a bunch of tapes. Well, aren't these saved digitally? Well, yes, but still, the, the you know the the you want the original the, the original yeah this is this is what they slaved over back then. This is a part of history. So I'm you know collecting all these to 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 keep. You know, I wonder if we fingerprinted what whose fingerprints we've come up with on these. Things. Exactly, yeah. What what kind of DNA is on these things? I don't know. We might not want to know. <laughs> oh, don't even, don't even go there. No, I'm, Steve. I'm teasing. But uh, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of amazing people, and and listening to the recordings too. A lot of people try to like cut off slates and things like that so to get to the actual recording of the sound. And there's so many wonderful things that can be heard while people are you know getting ready to record it and the voices and like the the Burning Man sound that I played the fire. You could hear Mark and Richard yes. talking about you know toss a little more of that on there. Should I pour <laughs> some of this? You know it's. Sealing their fate. Yes, because then you hear the the eruption <laughs> yeah. of flame. Like it's here. Let me let me play something out, out random here. One of my heroes uh, in sound is a guy named Jimmy McDonald, 
who was the Disney sound effects genius for many, many years. He actually took over the voice of Mickey Mouse from Walt Mm -hmm. back in the day. Uh, Jimmy had an amazing style of actually creating a prop that would make the sound. Mm -hmm. He would build something in the workshop that you'd crank or move or something like that, and it would make the sound. And then he'd get a bunch of these guys, these artists together, because he was a percussionist. That's where he came from. He was a a drummer and a percussionist on the old dollar steamship lines back in the Mm -hmm. 30s and 20s. And uh, so he he came from that. So he, you know, had this hands-on approach of making these sounds with actual props. And he'd get like two or three guys in the sound department, and they would sort of work with sort of a, a sound effect sheet music kind of thing that he would write. And they'd orchestrate a sound, and three of these guys, they would count down, and they would play this thing like it was a musical composition, but it was a sound effect. I actually have an example of one of the things. I, this is for an old um, old uh, Donald Duck cartoon. If you could play cue number 12. Ham's getting a workout today here. This is, this is an actual session from Disney, and you can hear them counting down with their little their, – they count down, and they do a take, and then they do another take. But this is – here – Isn't that great? Okay, now listen carefully. Take two. <laughs> First one wasn't good enough, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, second Donald, take was better. Donald, <laughs> the second take was better. Yeah. It really you yeah. can hear you need the difference. A rehearsal, yeah. But uh that's the kind of craziness that went on at Disney. They would make all these wonderful props and sort of orchestrate this incredible thing. Um Do you as as a sound guy, as a sound effects guy, do you think that it was because so much of that began in animation that that it freed people up to be more creative? I'd before, like to think so. Before moving into live action. Well, you can get away with so much with sound. You know, you don't have yeah. to tell people what it is. You know, who knew that the TIE fighters were, were elephants, you know? You know, that kind, of, that kind of craziness. You try different things. One of the great geniuses of that was the guy at Warner Brothers who did all the sound effects there, a guy named Treg Brown. Mm-hmm. He's another one of my heroes. And he was the, a, a mad genius at juxtaposing things from real life and then putting them in a cartoon world. You know, jet pass-bys for the roadrunner. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, it really takes, you know, that kind of crazy, free-thinking mind to come up with that. And they really did create a language of sound that, that went from studio to studio. You go to all the cartoon studios, Hanna-Barbera, Disney, Warner Brothers, you find a lot of similar sounds, but the, the sounds that they created themselves but the same sorts of things for the same sorts of gags. It's like mm-hmm. they, they created this language that we still adhere to. Right. You know? um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Yeah, they, we, really, we really owe a lot to that, that sort of. And like I said before, that goes back to the vaudevillian days, the mm-hmm. performing in the, in the orchestra pits, you know, doing all these gags to the guys, you know, on To stage. the routines, yeah. 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 Sure. Oh, my. What else did you oh, bring us? Let me see. What else do I got here? Well, here, let me, you know, we were talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is one of my favorite. I'm going to have a series of things for you to play, Pam. This is, <laughs> there was a sound in Raiders that um, was one of the, the ones that the West Coast crew did with Richard and those guys. It was, there's this sort of wind, mysterious wind that comes up out of nowhere whenever they're talking about the Ark 
or whenever Marion is holding the the idol, the mm-hmm. the little the the thing that that opens up the the you know the well of souls that they they tells them where to dig, is there, there's this magical wind that comes up, and they decided well this needs a signature effect because you know the wind kicks up and the lamps are blowing and all that, so it needs something with a little texture. So they came up with this thing and they recorded several different elements. So I'm going to play you some of the raw elements that went into this and then play you the actual sound. Okay. So this is the kind this is the kind of level of, of intensity that these sound designers do and this is the kind of stuff that the museum is going to eat up um, to play for people to educate them, you know, the, the kind of creativity that goes into these things. There was a um a Balinese choir, some some foreign choir that um, they did this ritual. It's like some you know ritualistic hundred years. They they do this thing, and they, there was this choir that sang, and it made this sort of. They slowed it down a little for this sort of low kind of guttural tone. This is cue number eight, please, Pam, that you can play. It's just this low kind of thing. This is slowed down. Mm-hmm. It was hissing. It was recorded on on old tape. It's a very droney kind of quality. So that's a little sample of that. Um, They did this thing called Choral Wind, where it was a bunch of guys, Richard, Mark, Steve, they would all go up to microphones and just go, (laughs) that's all it is. Just a bunch of guys doing that. Cue number nine, please. It's just, it's Choral Wind. Put a little reverb on that. You've got this sort of eerie, eerie kind of, yeah. And then this is the, the next element is is one that, that this is one that's really interesting. They did this thing. Okay, that's enough of that, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pam. She's loving this. There's, I know she is. That's she's doing a great job. Uh, piano screams. Mm-hmm. They would open up a piano and face the strings of the piano and scream at them, not recording their own screams. But they would stop and record the reverberation in the strings. They would reverberate. They would capture the screams. And if you could play number 10. There's a little bit of distortion there because it was such a quiet sound. But that's like horror movie perfect. You can hear some of their screaming. It was potted down, but you can still hear some... It's just a great sound. It's hard to record because it's very, very light. You have to mm-hmm. use a bunch of mics strategically placed and be really quiet. That's why it's so hissy is because it's, it's amplified a lot. Such a great sound. It's, it yeah. is so cool. I love that. Yeah. Anyway, those are the three main elements. There are a couple of other things that they used for what they, they nicknamed it God's Wind. Uh, which is the sound effect in 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 Raiders? Cue number eleven, Pam. And this is the the final version. tried to get that in matinee which we mentioned earlier for mm-hmm. frank darabont because there's a movie within the movie that's sort of a raider oh for the majestic yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and just before the reel uh, rolls out they like discover an idol or something like that and i actually tried to cut it in 
And I remember Maslow was there. Maslow was one of the mixers who mixed on Raiders. And I said, remember that, Maz? And so, oh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, Darabont killed it. He thought it was a little too recognizable. So. Darn. He, yeah, but he laughed. He got a good laugh out of it. We did a few sound gags with Frank that, you know, you laugh on the stage and then, ha, 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 we can't use that. <laughs> so, so that was one of them. But anyway, that, that gives you an example of the kind of, you know, creativity that goes into these things. Mm-hmm. Let me see what else I got. Well, here. I hope you brought one of the most recognizable sounds of all time. Oh, God, here it comes. What are you going to say? Wilhelm. Oh, gosh. You know what? I actually have a little pre-recorded piece because I talk about Wilhelm so often. It's going to be on my tombstone. I'm kind of responsible for this thing, the the Pandora's box being opened on this one. You're the um, one that ratted it out. Yeah, I did. I did. And Ben Burt, who started it, kind of uh, has accused me, and rightly so, of starting a cult. And it, it pretty much is. Uh I'll, I'll tell you briefly uh, uh, the story, and then we'll play this clip that actually has the sound in it. Um, it's a scream that was recorded in 1951 for an old movie, and it has been used countless times since. Mm-hmm. Ben Burt, who is the Star Wars you know, sound effects uh, geni- genius, <laughs> tracked it down and started using it. And then I started encouraging my guys to use it. Richard Anderson, who we spoke to earlier, who went to school with Ben, knew what it was. Mm -hmm. They used it in their student films at USC. It's in all of their old, early films. And Richard started using it independently when he was working in L.A. And, of course, I I worked with Richard for a long time and would sort of, hey, Richard, let's stick that in. Oh, yeah, good idea. You know, in the late 80s, early 90s, it was still kind of under the radar, but we were using it a lot. Then this thing called the Internet started. Yeah. And I published my list, and that's when it really got nuts. And I had propagated it in our films that, you know, a few, you know, active listeners could spot it. But I started doing interviews and things like that. And this this is actually a clip from one of those little interviews, Q number 66, Pam. This is just a little piece that I did to talk about Wilhelm. So, And you okay. can hear, hear the actual session in this clip. Hi, I'm Steve Lee. I'm a sound effects wrangler, a Hollywood historian, and I run the website HollywoodLostAndFound.net. The Wilhelm scream is a sound effect that was recorded in 1951 for a film called Distant Drums. It was a Gary Cooper movie. And they needed the sound for a man being bitten by an alligator and being dragged underwater. One of the actors in the film, and we believe it was Sheb Woolley, came in and and did this scream that was used in the film, and it was archived away in the Warner Brothers Sound Effects Library. This collection is used for many, many different films, and so that scream, that scream that he performed for that film, got used in so many different films and westerns under the Warner Brothers banner. And then cut to 1976, when Ben Bird is researching Star Wars, he uh, actually tracked down the master of the sound at Warner Brothers. <laughs> And started using the sound as sort of his own personal sound signature. He started using it in all the films he worked on, just sort of as a little in-joke and a little sort of signature of his own. It's in all the Star Wars films. It's in all the Indiana Jones films. So far, there's over 200 films that it's appeared in. A man getting bit by an alligator and he screams.
I love the direction uh, the guy, you can actually hear the guy say, and it's, uh, you know, no, no, not an owl, a real scream of yeah. pain. The direction <laughs> it gives him there that motivates him to do the the signature one that we all know and, and, and love. Um, yeah, pretty you know, crazy. I've got to ask you, what is your feeling? Because I know Mark Mangini previously has commented. Oh, boy. In interviews, not not to me, not on behind the lens, but in other interviews, the quote unquote universal telephone ring. Oh yeah, I've got that. We can play that for you and tell you exactly you what know, that is. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Um, Overkill, overuse, key, not no key number thirty eight, t- Pam. <laughs> this is one of the oldest effects at Universal. They use this all the single camera seventies Universal shows. It's like. What's funny about this phone ring is, well, first of all, anyone who watches The Rockford Files can remember because it it's opens up ep- every, every episode. Every single Rockford, yeah, But yeah. it's got a wow in it. It actually has distortion. It's like when the, the, the playback was, was wobbling a little. So it's got a little <laughs> it's got a wow right in the middle of it. But they still use this. And I, you know, up until like the mid to late 80s, you still hear this all the time. Somebody pick up the phone, goddammit. Um, <laughs> but... What's funny, and Ben Bird even said something about it in an interview, too. He hates it also. It, it, no matter where the phone is, it, it, in somebody's house, in somebody's office, uh, an evil mastermind's laboratory, a cave somewhere, it still sounds exactly the same. Mm-hmm. It's just this stocky, It just because of its overuse, mm-hmm. it has become this sort of infamous, infamous sound. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. When, you know, it, we record so many different things and different sounds. Uh, there was a phone... That Richard, do I have it here? I think I do, actually. Richard recorded, you'll hear his voice in it, uh, for Gremlins. Oh, okay. Um, the, the, the character, the Rand Peltzer, the, the father figure in Gremlins was an inventor, but his inventions never worked. So anything he messed with was broken in such a way. It had, it had a quirkiness to it. So when he needed a phone ring in that film, Richard took a phone, an old, you know, bell phone, and, and played with it. And and broke it, and and recorded it for for Gremlins. If you could play Q twenty one, please. So this is the Peltzer phone from Gremlins that he recorded. Sick Peltzer phone ring. <laughs> you can actually hear playing with it when it rings and like. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this sick, you know, trying to tweak it, anemic. <laughs> There's something wrong with it. But that's the kind of level of, of detail we go into. You know, something as simple as a phone ring. Sure, you can go to a library and pull something. But if you, you do something that motivates the story, mm-hmm. it's really not doing well, is it? <laughs> that phone ring. Well, he said sick. Yeah, you know, it it's is. a sick phone a- ring. Anemic phone. But that's that's what we, as as sound effects designers, we're helping to tell the story. So everything we do mm-hmm. motivates but the story and moves mm-hmm. it along, and that's that's really a great opportunity to come up with something that 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 does it. Well, I know one of my favorite uh, sound effects has always been, you know, Castle Thunder oh, in horror God. films and Hammer films. I don't I, know if I brought Castle Thunder because that one's just so old. And I ancient. know it's Let ancient. Uh, do I have that here? Do you see it, Pam, on the thing? I don't know if I have Castle. Oh, yes, I do. Thirty-seven. Yeah. Yeah, Castle Thunder is, is the thunderclap that Universal's been using since time began. That was recorded for, for Frankenstein in I was, 1931. I was going to say, yeah, that began yeah. back during their horror yeah. reign. And and Mangini was the first one to tell me. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. It's raining at the old and Frankenstein raining. place. Yeah. 
But that's that's. And there have been other thunderclaps that that uh, have even. There's sort of these these bastardized versions of this thunderclap and the fox thunderclap that had a great uh, metal strike to it. Mm-hmm. I'm actually hearing some of that in this one. This one might actually be the the, the meld between the two. But yeah, that's it. Says haunted house. It it just it it suddenly it just evokes that old yeah. monster movie. It takes you right back. Yeah, and again, yeah, up until like the the late '80s, early '90s, people were still using this. Mm-hmm. As as the signature. Yeah, now you know. they've gotten away from it completely. Well, because it does not hold up. It's right. an old optical, crappy record. You know, you, I I tried to find the master and I could not find the master. It does not exist. It's just a copy of a copy of a copy. I, there have been sounds that I've I've tracked down the original, and mm-hmm. listened to them, and you know you get this clarity when you get a print right off the master. Yeah. Uh, I did a lot of research over at Paramount. A dear friend of mine was the librarian there for many, many years and uh, got to listen to so many things. And there were some ricochets that actually Ben had tipped me off to um, that were recorded for uh, an old uh, movie called Lives of a Bengal Lancer back in the 30s, early 30s. And uh, there are these two ricochets that are like the oldest ricochets in the world. Uh, Cue number 43, Pam, 43. Um, you, you know, you, these have been in so many Westerns and TV shows, and, and these are like the signature ricochets from old, but they were recorded for the, yep, yep, that's the one, just these ancient, with all this optical hiss and everything on them. Those two ricochets have been in so many films. In fact, Ben cut this wonderful montage of, of films through the ages of those two ricochets, even cartoon characters darting out oh, of yeah. the Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I went to Paramount and tracked down the master and had it you know, digitized for me to listen to. And here I am with headphones and everything and listening to, and I hear those go by and I'm like laughing and about to turn it off. And two more ricochets go by that I'd never heard before that were on the master that people, I guess, stopped their copy before they got to. So I've got, I've got a couple ricochets of, from that series that are very reminiscent of that. They uh-huh. sound very similar, but they're nowhere near as, you know, beaten to death <laughs> as, as the other ones. <laughs> so then, you know, another museum thing. That's another, you know, another piece of the, the history. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben is amazing at this because he's got so many, so much, you know, time logged tracking these things down on me. He's He's been doing mm-hmm. it forever. Um, he actually tracked down, I, I don't have it to play, uh, unfortunately, but the old John Wayne chin sock from the old Westerns. Oh, he had a okay. very signature chin sock. And he, he found out that it was actually recorded for an old Marx Brothers film that it wasn't used in. But it was, I don't know if they, you know, they build it to that or whatever, knowing they'd need something later and mm-hmm. just recorded it while they were doing other slapstick sounds for the Marx Brothers. But that's where the John Wayne chin sock came from, was mm-hmm. from an old Marx Brothers film. So. It's it's kind of this sort of you know, audio archaeology, which is one of the one of the billing codes I actually have at the museum and at the Radiophonic <laughs> Lab. My company is you know, billing you for audio archaeology because I track this down. Because in my last few years at Weddington, I sort of got this reputation as being the sound effects wrangler, where I would go mm-hmm. out and find track down things. We did a show for Joe Dante that Mark Mangini supervised, uh, Looney Tunes back in action, mm-hmm. and he's got all these old monsters. From old movies in it, they're all in, imprisoned in this lab out in the middle of the Nevada desert called Area 52. 
<laughs> yeah. And he's got all the all the old classic monsters there. There's Robot Monster, there's the man from Planet X and a bunch mm-hmm. of others, but he wanted each one of them to sound exactly like they did in the film. So I tracked down uh, Day of the Triffids. There's a big triffid plant there clucking away. I tracked that guy down. <laughs> so all those creatures sound exactly as they did in their film. And I that was one of my jobs on the film. Was tracking you know, them. where do you see sound effects going with the new generation of of people coming into sound or not coming into sound? Well, again, this is the reason I'm forming the museum. Uh, there are a lot of people who are into this history but don't know it. And now, aside from the sounds that they create themselves, there are a lot of CD libraries and commercial libraries out there. And some of them are a hodgepodge of this old material, yeah. but the history isn't behind them. Mm-hmm. The cartoon effects in particular. You know, Hanna-Barbera released their own sound effects, so everyone knows what those are. But some of these other independent companies have released CDs of sound effects that are just sort of a compilation of all these different, you know, just funny sounds. Right. And the history is gone. And I can listen to it and hear, oh, that's Disney. Oh, that's, you know, MGM. Or that, you know, and there are stories behind all that. And suddenly it just sort of becomes a cartoon sound effect and the history is lost. You listen to a lot of, you know, animation in the early days of like Nickelodeon and that sort of thing. And it's just, they used it because it worked for that gag, but it's from, it's all over the place. Back in the day, you could listen to a cartoon, just not even picture, just listen to it, and you'd know exactly what studio it came from. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that anymore. And it's 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 useful to learn the history because it gives you new, fresh ideas, and you can come up with new things and new gags, and the way they did things back then uh, might, you know, turn you on to some new thing i i I love the new technology i love digital i love all these wonderful new tools but that's all they are it's just how you use them and if Mm. you use them in a creative way you can get some really fun stuff but if you just buy them off the shelf and call yourself a sound designer you know you're really missing out on all this great history and knowledge and well i know i keep getting every once in a while audio blocks it's like they offer up okay for x amount of time you know download you know, umpteen yeah. sounds for free and yeah. do the same thing. They do the same. Another yeah. company does the same thing with video. It's like McDonald's, you know, it's, I want a hamburger. Okay. Here you have a but, hamburger, but, <laughs> but you know, okay, I've great. actually gone in and listened to some of it. <laughs> yeah. And, but there's no context. Yeah, exactly. I want context to something, be it video footage, be it sound. I want the context. Absolutely. Because as you said, then it could spark an idea of how to freshen it up. Absolutely. For the 21st century. Well, you know, a, a lot of these master tapes have gotten thrown away because, you know, the corporations basically say, okay, well, we have it digitized, so it doesn't matter yeah. anymore. But also, as you say, you open this up and you look at all the handwritten notes, and you yeah. might find something in here that didn't get translated into the metadata where they say, oh, yeah, we yeah. found. You know, I always think of that the one Harry Potter film where he finds. The, the one potions book with all the notes in it, you know, where he finds all the secrets and all that. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. That's yeah. the real, real important stuff. And that's that's what I'm trying to trying to save. Well, you know, I, this is one of the most <laughs> worthwhile, worthwhile projects out there. And it is. Yeah. And you're going to be incorporating for television as well or just for film. Oh, everything. 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 I mean, my background is in film and, and some TV. But uh, ideally, yeah, as we grow, it's it's entertainment audio. It's it's so. Everything. So, in other words, the reel to reel in the Elias Homestead in Philadelphia. Bring it out! Bring it out! We'll give it a wing. 
<laughs> there's so I'm much. Give it away in the museum. You know, it's before my dad passed away. They were actually they had built a new station in Philadelphia, WPVI, which is an ABC O and O. They built a new station, um, and the old one, which was built by Walter Annenberg, and it was it was round. And he actually prided himself that he paid extra to have bricks made special so they would be curved so oh, the wow. building could be round. <laughs> um, over the years in, what was it, in September 2009, the new station right on the same ground was built. Mm-hmm. But there were over 80,000, 80,000 videotapes. Wow. And because my dad was ill at the time, and he was trying from a hospital bed to wrangle and corral and had a four-hour window to get guys to go and save as much as they could oh, boy. before the building was being oh. raised with all the con- with all the everything stuff in, it. in it. Oh my God! So, luckily, they you know they managed to get a ton of stuff out um, that now the broadcast pioneers has. But still, when you think about how much was actually lost, oh yeah. You know, why my siblings could not have gone over mm. there and just thrown it in our garage, I will never understand. Yeah, but that's, we won't go there. No, 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 no. Let's not, let's not But, do you know, it just, it pained, it, it just broke people's hearts. Jerry Wilkinson, the president of the Pioneers, he said, well, at least we got, I mean, they got car, they got truckloads and truckloads, mm-hmm. but there was still so much. That ABC Disney's like, no, we're just going to raise it. Raise the building and the stuff that's in it. And that's, I don't want to see that happen. I've seen it happen several times. I know. And I, that's just... one of the reasons why I'm doing this. Yeah. yeah. Give this place a home and, uh, and share the craft and the history and all that. So, yeah, uh. absolutely. Well, we are now. Now we're out of time. Now we're out of time <laughs> with our very first extra edition. Oh, gosh. This is the very first time we've done this. I, I appreciate that. I, you know, I could keep going, and that's that's why we're we're doing. We're going to be at LostCon uh, Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to be uh, speaking on the I think Saturday the twenty fifth. I think I have that date, Ron, at the LAX Marriott. It's uh, this LostCon. It's run by one of the the oldest uh, science fiction fan run mm-hmm. um, organizations in the world, really. Uh, and Richard Anderson's going to join me. We're going to talk more about the museum. I'm on a couple panels to uh, talk about the sound and music in Star Wars because it's still this year's the 40th anniversary of the first Star Wars, and we're still celebrating. And the Last Jedi is coming out yeah. December 15. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah. So well, Steve Lee, I can't thank you enough thank for being you. here today. And when you get the touring, you'll come back. I will. I will, but people can go to hollywoodsoundmuseum.org now. right now and learn about it and maybe donate a little bit, and it will grow from there. Uh, Steve, thank you. Thank and you for having me. We will get you back. Thank so you. that's all the time we have today. I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Yeah.